Wow. Um, okay, so this is really in so many ways... Um, I heard you laughing out there. You know what it's like to have to follow, to have to preach after something like that, right? Thank you, guys. Um, John and his team really led us this morning into the, the realization, the, the new place of recognizing what Christ really did purchase for us. Um, I heard a story years ago um, about a, a young, kind of excitable evangelist going around an airport back when you could just wander through airports um, and, and asking everybody, hey, if 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 you died today and you stood before Almighty God and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And so he's going from person to person asking this, which is a great question, but going to person to person asking this question and, and, uh, and some guy gives him a, a, you know, a really good answer because you know, Christ has paid my, paid my way and he saved me forever. And the young guy all excitable is like, yeah, but when? And uh, you know, the story is that the guy said, I don't, well, I don't, I don't know exactly when. He's like, no, no, if, you, if this was real for you, you would know exactly when. And the old guy says, well, uh, I mean, it was about 2,000 years ago, but I don't know exactly when. <laughs> um, boy, that's theologically sound right there. That's, that's the truth is of all the important weeks and days of the human experience. And this is, not, this is not a special week for Christianity. This is a special week. This is a magnificent week for the human race. Um, something changed forever because of what Christ did a couple of thousand years ago. And we celebrate that, and, and, and as really, honestly, the sermon morphed during the first service a little bit um, and, and really gained a cohesion that I had not given it, um, and so I'm kind of excited about that, that, that really this is about remembering and all the things that come from remembering um, as we look at this and as we're going to look at this passage today in John chapter 2. Um, there's, there's consequences to remembering, but... The peace that Christ has purchased for us is worth remembering. And that's, uh, that's what John and his team reminded us of this morning. So thank you. Um, so we're going we're gonna to be studying, even though we're going to reference Palm Sunday, because Palm Sunday has some interesting uh, mirrored effects. It's like, it's like what we're going to read today from John 2. There's like a, a stone dropped in a pond and the ripples that it created. One of those ripples is, is Palm Sunday and the, the week of the Passion of the Christ. We're actually teaching about a time early in his career, early in his ministry, um, or as Palm Sunday <coughs> began the last week of his ministry here on earth. But um, So let's read from John chapter 2. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. And the pastor of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there, and he made a whip out of cords. And drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Don't make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. This behavior of Jesus has reminded them of a psalm, of, of, of something that David had said about himself way back in Psalm 69 that we'll, we'll wrap up with. But as they saw him behave in this way, which must have seemed strange to them. Remember, they've not been following him long. This, this whole following Jesus the Messiah, following Jesus the rabbi, who exactly he was and what exactly is going on is still very, very new to them. There's only a few of them. We don't even have 12 at this point yet following him that we know of. So here we have um, this, this, these few days. It tells us at the very beginning that, that first he went down to Capernaum. So this is after leaving the wedding. Um, where he turned water to wine and showing the first sign of his majesty, of his magnificence, um, which is key, by the way, for many of us. 
let's just, let's just be honest. I mean, for many of us, we are the closest thing we know to majesty in our lives. We ourselves. We, we make the rules and we follow the rules and we think it's really fundamentally about us and what we think and what we think we ought to be doing. And the truth is, um, it's not. Um, it, it's, it's really important that we, we recognize, that we submit ourselves to the majesty of the one greater than us. Um, so much damage is done in the counseling that I do. So much damage comes from men and women who think that they are the God of their own lives, who they are the highest God that they know. And so as we're introduced to this, we were introduced, we know who we're dealing with. But none of the people here do. We know we're dealing with somebody. And even these handful of followers, they've got a, a hint at who they're dealing with. The Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah, all these different things that they're getting a hint of, but, um, but just a few people. So, so John is telling us, hey, he went back to Capernaum for a few days. Um, this may be just totally John's way of telling you, so you need to cut over to Matthew or Mark or Luke and read what they talk about early in Jesus' ministry at Capernaum. Um, because we, there's a number of things that happened early in Jesus' ministry at Capernaum. That's an important place. They're on the north part of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus did a lot of important things there. And some of them may have been done during this little gap. And so John's telling you. Because remember, John, John has the Gospel of Mark in front of him. And he has the Gospel of Matthew in front of him and the Gospel of Luke. He's, he's got those. He may have even had other Gospels that we've lost sitting in front of him as he's writing his Gospel or as his students are compiling his notes. They have those. <clears throat> so um, that's, this may be his way of saying, hey, this is when the feeding of the 5,000 or the Sermon on the Mount or, or something like that was happening. And then it says that it's time for a certain feast, the Feast of Passover. Now, Jesus is going to have at least three, maybe four, and according to one commentary, five Passovers during the, the ministry that we see him happen. Four is the most commonly accepted. This is the first of them. So for us, Passover is strange. As Americans, we don't even understand the way that these Jewish rituals, these Jewish festivals and feasts happen. The hope is when we get to John chapter 7, I'm going to try to talk John Keeling into coming up here on stage with me as a historian and teaching through the historical significance of these feasts and what it would mean for a people to have um, these type of regimented feasts every year to be remembered. And, and every one of them, the main message is, remember this. Hold on to this. Don't let this go. And so in a, in a world where here we are in 2018... And, and most cultures that started meaningfully 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 years ago, man, they're mythological. They don't exist as a culture anymore. Even the people who are descendants of them, we may have them around, but there's no culture there still. Not so with the Jewish people. 5,000 years later, the Jews still understand, certain of them understand themselves as a cohesive culture. They still practice these same things that are instructed in Leviticus a long time ago. So there's something very powerful about this opportunity, this, these opportunities to remember. Three times every year, Jewish men were instructed to go to the temple. To, uh, it would have been, at the time it was instructed, it would have been to the tabernacle. But later, when there's a temple, they go to the temple, to, up to Jerusalem, three times a year to celebrate these certain things that are all about remembrance. So the first one is Passover from Leviticus 23. We're going to go over these very quickly just so you'll have a, a sense of them. Um, so, the, and, and you, this may be hard for you to, to kind of stick through, but, but focus in on these and, and as, as you think about the idea of what is God doing with his people and how can we live some of this out too. So Passover is first, um, Leviticus 23, 
These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. And the first month, and on the fourteenth day of that month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. So this was, this was God telling them, you need to remind yourselves that I saved you from Egypt. It was me, in fact, that did that. It wasn't you. It was me. God says, I, I, I gave ten plagues that are really the, the knocking down the gods of Egypt like bowling pins, one after the other. Every god of Egypt who dared to face um, Yahweh, who dared to face Almighty God, God just knocked them over, shut them down for a period of time to show He was God and, and they aren't really God. The last one is the destruction of the firstborn son. And so God is going to sweep through these people, this nation, this culture, and personally take the life of every firstborn son, man and animal. And he tells his people, this includes you. Unless you kill the sheep that I instructed, and you spread its blood over the cross pieces, and your obedience is what will protect you from me. I will instead pass over your home rather than destroy your son. That's how powerful an expression this is. And in fact, they did. And that blood is there. And, and here in Leviticus, he's instructing his people, you need to remember that. You need to remember that I did that. And so you're going to have Passover to remember that I passed over your people. That's the first one. The second one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, in Leviticus, again, in Leviticus 23, in the first month, and the 14th day of the month of twilight is the Lord's Passover. And the 15th day of the same month, so the next day after, after Passover, is the, um, for the, let me find it, 15th day of the month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread for the Lord. For seven days you will eat unleavened bread. So the first fruits, the sacrifice of the first, uh, excuse me, back to still with unleavened bread. So for seven days, they don't eat bread with wheat in it. So that, that the uh, bread with yeast in it. I said wheat, didn't I? Yeast in it. With leaven in it. I was hard to eat bread without wheat. Um, bread without uh, yeast. The thing that makes it rise. The, the golden yumminess um, that makes donuts what they are. Um, no, no. Uh, all, my application is always donuts. So the, the, this is a, um, not that, it's just like matzah, which compared to donuts is boring. And so for, but what it lacks is this. So it's meant to be a reminder to the people, hey, there's probably things in your life you need to get out of your life. Like this leaven. Because see, leaven is just an effect. It can be a good thing or a bad thing. So if, you, if a good thing in your life, it can infect every part of your life. And that's what it's supposed to be. In fact, I realized, so Wednesday night when we had the, all the men in here and we were discussing church and men's ministry and what the role of the men in the church is and, and what the role of it is in our lives. Here's what struck me um, as I was studying this. It stood out to me that we were discussing church as something that we do. I mean, that's a mistake. Versus church as who we are. That's the, that's the truth of the matter, is that church is who we are. This is something, church is meant to be something that's not an activity we do for a few hours on Sunday, or maybe a couple hours on Wednesday, or whatever. The concept of church, the united body of the invisible host of God, that the members of, who are following Christ with their lives... That's, that's part of who we are. It's supposed to infect every part of our lives. When, when Pike and I used to have to create sermon series around Easter every year, every single year. In fact, we did it about every other year, whether you caught us or not. Every single year, we wanted to entitle the Easter series, This Changes Everything. 
This changes the way I treat my wife and my kids. This changes the way I engage with people at the grocery store. This changes the way I see myself in the mirror. This changes the way I do my taxes. This changes the way I invest my money and my time. This changes the way I sleep and when I get up and what I do. And it changes everything. Nothing is left untouched by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's, it changes everything. If it's not changing everything, if your spending habits or your, or your whatever habits are still the same despite the fact that Jesus was resurrected, then, you, then we're missing something. It's supposed to change everything. Now listen, we're terrible at that. But that's the call. We're different, strange, weird in this. And just like that, the Jewish people would, they would every year go do these things and they would have a period of seven days where they didn't eat, they didn't eat bread with yeast in it. It was a reminder to them and everybody else around them. Then we have the feast of the first fruits, down in verse 10 of Leviticus 23. When you come into the land I give you and reap its harvest, you will bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord that you may be accepted. So on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. These three feasts together, they take up a week and they are called as a group Passover typically. You do all of them right there connected. They're all in the same month. They're all connected to one another. And then the fourth one. The Feast of Weeks. So seven weeks later plus one day, um, they, have, they celebrate the Feast of Weeks called Pentecost. It's a fasting feast. You shall count seven full weeks from the day of the Sabbath or from the day you brought um, the sheaf to the, wane, to the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. You shall present a grain offering of the new grain to the Lord. This is now... I'm connected to the wheat harvest. Again, a reminder, God did this, not you. God's the one who gave you barley. God's the one who gave you wheat. You worked for it. You worked hard. But in the end, nothing you could do could make it grow. Only God can do that. That's a reminder. We're supposed to remember that. This isn't fundamentally about us. The fifth one is the Feast of Trumpets. Um, Ten days, it starts ten days of repentance. The shofar is blown a hundred times. You've probably heard the name Rosh Hashanah. That's this one. The seventh month, so the, all those are on the first month. Did I skip one? No, first month, and then second month with Pentecost. Then seventh month, Feast of Trumpets. The shofar is blown. There we go. And the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclamation with blasts of trumpets, a holy convocation, you shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. Again, another reminder, a few months later in the seventh month, take a day off, focus back into what God is doing, and for ten days they focus on repentance. Just like the seven days of, of no leaven, they're being reminded. There's stuff in your life that needs to be turned from. How often do we need these reminders? Number six, a day of atonement ends those ten days. At the end of those 10 days, the priest sacrifices an animal for his own sins and for the people's sins, and then he releases the scapegoat, meaning a goat that's covered, that's covered uh, metaphorically with sin and sent out into the wilderness to vanish, to never return. This is called Yom Kippur. They're supposed to remember the Day of Atonement. And then finally, the Feast of Booths, Leviticus 23. Remember um, from 42 and 43, remember um, that they spent 40 years in a wilderness so this is, this is not a fun feast. This, this one is a somber remembrance. They're reminded, I sent you through the desert for 40 years because of your disobedience. 
Don't think I won't do it again, is what God is saying with them. Don't think I won't do it again. This is a form of discipline that is meant to serve you and help you grow. Don't think I won't do that again if I don't have to. If I have to send you back in the desert, you like living in tents for, for 40 years? Why don't you experience living in tent for a few days again every single year to remind yourself it's not fun? You could have been living in the land of Israel with all the things I had for you, but instead you chose to disobey and live the way you wanted to. Notice, he's not, he's not beating them down. It's a reminder. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget who I am, and don't forget who you are. This is something we've got to do. We're, we're not very good at this kind of stuff, really. And there's two more that aren't from Leviticus. They've been added in later. One is the Feast of Dedication called Hanukkah. So after the Greeks had um, blasphemed the temple, um, the Maccabees uh, family, we'll talk about this again in a few weeks, took back over um, Israel and restored the temple, and they celebrate that at Hanukkah. And then they have the Feast of Lots um, when they celebrate the fact that um, God preserved his people in time of Esther. Um, So these are important things to remember. Jesus followed these, at least the ones that applied to him. Jesus followed these. Again, we have to remember Jesus lived as a Jew. So he would have gone to Passover every year for his whole life. This would have been his 29th or 30th Passover probably. So he would have experienced this. He had been reminded of these teachings year after year after year. Um, Men were required to go three times a year. So here he is. This is a Passover The reminder that God is God, and it's God who rescues. And the focus, the emphasis is on the God and His sacrifice for us, for His people. And Jesus shows up, and something's apparently wrong. Now, we're going to have to guess a little bit at what's wrong, because it's not obvious in the passage, but I've got some ideas here. Verse 14, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And he's about to get upset about this. But no one knows exactly why. This isn't strange. It's not strange that that there are people here changing money. It's not strange that there are people here selling cattle and selling animals to be sacrificed. No one really knows for sure what it is that Jesus finds so offensive about this. There's some good guesses. Passover at the time of Jesus was huge. Um, Now, Josephus says 200,000 sheep were slaughtered. Um, No one buys that. Josephus was was famous for padding the numbers a little bit. The, most, the more conservative, and, but yet probably most accurate, is somewhere around the number 15,000 sheep being slaughtered, probably in a single day. So think about that for a second. 15,000 sheep being slaughtered on a single day in the same place, by the way, in the same small area. The Valley of Kidron is the valley that runs between um, the uh, Mount of Olives on the east of Jerusalem, and then you have the Temple Mount, and there's a valley in between them, the Valley of Kidron. Um, according to some, during Passover at the time of Jesus, the Valley of Kidron ran as deep with blood as a horse's reins because of all the animals being slaughtered. This was a huge deal. Probably in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people showing up. Some to be, um, to be a part of Passover and some for the spectacle. Maybe that's part of the issue, is it had become a spectacle it would be convenient for the money changers to be there. It would be convenient for them to have some of the animals. If you're coming from uh, Bethsaida or from Nazareth, that's a long way to carry a sheep with you. It would be better to carry money. And then when you get there, you'd have to exchange that money because the temple only used special money. 
So if you exchange that money for the temple money, then you'd go into the temple and you'd buy your animal and then you'd sacrifice that animal. That was the idea. You would take the animal back to the, back to the priests and they would sacrifice that animal for you. Um, and that was, the, that was the plan. So maybe the problem is they'd gotten off point. Maybe it's as simple and as innocent as that. Is that what had happened is in, the, in this huge mess and all of these animals with all these people and all of this crowd, it had become, it, they were just missing the point now. And that Jesus is there and he realizes they're here to exchange money and trade animals, not serve God. They're not remembering anything. They're just going through the religious road that they're supposed to do and no one's even thinking about it. Everybody shows up, they do their little thing, they go down to the mikvah bath, they go exchange their money, then they go get their sheep and then they take it to the priest and then they go home. What's the least I can do and still get out of this? Maybe it's as simple as what we've done in our country to like Christmas or Thanksgiving or even Easter. That we've missed the point. We've lost a hold of the, of the point of what these things are about, right? Everybody knows what Christmas is about. It's about drinking your best alcohol with family, right? That's what you're supposed to do at Christmas. That's what the, that's what the advertisements seem to indicate, right? That's, what it's, that's really what it's for. It's a special time for everybody to gather together and chink your cups and that's it. Maybe some presents too. I mean, we, we measure our, our national economy by how well people do, how well the stores do at Christmas. And, and of course, the day after Thanksgiving, which is the purpose of Thanksgiving is Black Friday. That's the purpose of Thanksgiving is to have Black Friday. Um, and to gather together with your friends and family and drink your nice alcohol again. There is a lot of strong connection to alcohol and, and, and uh, festivals in the United States. You ever notice that? Listen, there's nothing, there's nothing I, I'm, not, I'm not one of those who makes a big deal. In fact, I've, I've written about this. I'm not one who makes a big deal about like, oh, we need to get all the pagan stuff out of our holidays. That's, in my opinion, that's just silliness. Um, the, the Babylonians did not create eggs or bunnies. That was, those, that was God. Um, witches didn't create black cats or pumpkins. That, that also God. Um, trees and yule logs were not created by druids. God did that. Um, we don't, we don't, as Christians, we don't have to be panicky and weird about this kind of stuff. But what a good picture for us of probably what Passover had become. It was all about everything except the one thing it was supposed to be about. And the people of Israel had now turned this into religious behavior, into maybe a family celebration or whatever, and they had lost hold of the fact that this is about remembering that God saved you from His own wrath via the path of obedience to Him. You did what He said, and He rescued you from His wrath, and from his judgment, and from his power, and from his might, and that's what you're supposed to be thinking about, and all you can think about is how long the line is in order to buy a pigeon, and how much you have traded. It may just be that simple. So, getting off point. I think that's pretty applicable. We're awful at that, aren't we? I mean, we're, we're pretty quick to get off point. We're pretty quick to lose control of where we are and what's going on and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, that's a good reminder, and that's probably at the base level, the minimum of what's going on here is that they're, they're missing the point, and Jesus is going to get very, very frustrated about that. It may be much worse, though. It may be that they've, that they've now perverted it into something else. Some people think that the reason John is not more detailed here about what's going on is because we're supposed to know, because everybody knew. 
Everybody knew what the Passover and the temple had turned into. I've had described to me when I was over there that at the time of Jesus Christ, the, priest was, the priesthood was essentially the mafia. They were in control of the money and control of the power, and they were in control of the legal system, and only the Romans had more power than they did, and the Romans left them alone for the most part, that the priesthood was essentially like the, the organized crime. Such a to such a degree that other Jews called zealots wanted to kill them, and often did. So they were, they were the enemies of their own people in many ways. There's some indications that the priests might have been renting this space to the money changers, renting this space to the people with the cattle. So they were making money off of this. And you can imagine if you've ever been a vendor for like a, a baseball game or a football game or at an airport or something like that, they probably were making good money on that, renting the space to these people. That would be a problem. There's some indication that the money changers were robbing these pilgrims. These poor people who had to, by law, come all the way from Capernaum, all the way from every different part of Israel and beyond, and make all the way there, and they would get there, and they'd have the, just a handful of coins, and they would turn them in, and the, the money changers and the, were, were, were stealing from them, were changing it for exorbitant amounts of money, and then giving some of that kickback to the priests, and then that was, the, that was really the issue that's going on here. That's also very plausible it may even be uglier than that. Jesus, when Jesus comes back and he does this again near the end of his life, in the last week of his life, and he has to cleanse the temple again, he doesn't say a place of trade. He says a den of thieves. So he's, he's more aggressive about it three or four years later. It may even be, according to, to one commentary, Benson's commentary indicates, if you can imagine this, that probably or maybe what was happening was that you would go in, you were some poor farmer from way up north in the Galilee region, and you brought your money, and you changed your money at an exorbitant rate because they had total control over the money at the temple with the other million people who were there, and you give way more than you can possibly afford in order to buy this sheep, and you take this sheep that you've just purchased, this, this alleged firstborn male lamb without a blemish, and you take it back to the priests, and the priests take it, and they take it in the back, and then they walk back around to the market and they sell it again to the animal trade people who then sell it again to the next pilgrim. And that this, this same sheep may have been sold dozens of times before it was finally sacrificed. If that's what's going on, you can imagine why Jesus was so angry. Whatever it is, Jesus is put on edge um, by this. Remember how it was not his time at the wedding? That's what he told his mom. It's not my time yet. Well, apparently it's time now. Because what Jesus does is he goes up into the temple. And I don't, I don't know how to picture this. I always picture Jesus as being a, a real kind of intentionally calm guy. You know how, how much more scary those type of people are? And so I've always pictured Jesus as like that. There's... there's um, I don't know why I always picture Will Smith in this role, but, but Jesus is played by Will Smith in this, in this role is what I've always, I, I picture, he's, he's sitting up there and he picks up a piece of rope off the ground and, and he's just, he's just kind of, he's not even talking. He's just nodding his head and kind of talking to himself. Like, all right, okay, all right. I see what's going on here now. I understand, okay. That's how you want it to be. Okay, we're going to. We're going to deal with it like this. And, it, it like, and his disciples, are who they're, he's still pretty new to them, are sitting around going, uh, what's, he, what's he doing with the rope? That doesn't, 
that doesn't look good. I don't like what he's doing there with the rope. I walked up and I was messing with this. And, and John Redfern was up there going like, I'm, I'm a little distracted by what you're doing with the rope right now. I, I could, looks to me like you're making a whip. I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're going to do, do, do next. I almost thought about saying like, hey, John, come up on stage here for just a second, wherever you are. And he, funny thing is he probably would, hey, Paul, come up here, let me show you something. And they would get up. And so, anyway, but um, that, that's a... So Jesus is sitting there. He makes this. He makes a, takes something. He makes a cord. He gets it all ready. It says, "Making a whip of corn of cords." He drove them all out of the temple. I think all here doesn't just mean the animals. I think it means the money changers. I think it means the people with the trading the stuff. And Jesus is so infuriated that when he stands up and he starts telling him, "Get out," and you can imagine they would have paid no attention. Like, what? I said, "Get out." Maybe they didn't start listening until he started whipping around with the cord. And all of a sudden, people are taking him seriously as he's telling him, get out, get out, get out, get out of my father's house. He's chasing them out. Take those pigeons with you. I don't want them here. Get, take them with you. Get the animals out of here. Is it, is it as simple as the fact that they've missed the point? Maybe it is. See, I, I, next week, as, as part of our Easter conversation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to this, and we're going to talk about anger. Because I've really decided over the years that our problem isn't that we're angry. The problem is that we're angry about the wrong things. We get angry over the dumbest stuff. And usually a very personal level emotional response. We're angry because of some pathetic little offense against us. Somebody didn't say something when they should have. Or they said something when they shouldn't have. Or they didn't use the right tone. Or they, I mean, we're just... We're just like little time bombs just waiting to express our anger because maybe that'll shut people down and they'll we'll, we'll make a behavior modification moment out of it. And that's not what this is. this is. This is something way bigger than that. Jesus makes his court. He chases them out. This is what strikes me. This is different, by the way. Some people think these are the same event. Um, that, that John just puts it in a different time than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't see that. I think very clearly these are two separate events. The first Passover of Jesus' ministry, he drives the money changers out of the temple. And the last Passover, near the last Passover of his ministry, he has to do it again. And that jumped out at me. I've never thought about that before studying at this time. Is that he has to go back just a few years later and they're right back doing it again. That's, that is so real. Is that not us? I mean, does that not describe us as a race? It's, it's an amazing to see when the Apostle Paul says, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. That's, we can so identify with that. You've heard me, if you've heard me teach on, on marriage. Have you know, but those who have been married for a little while, have you noticed you fight about the same things? I mean, there's only like three or four things you fight about. You just fight about them over and over and over and over and over again, Right? And you think, you're like, surely, surely he's learned by now. We've been married 25 years and he's still doing the same thing? He hasn't picked up, is it, are you stupid or are you mean? Which is it, right? That's a direct quote from clients. Are you stupid or are you mean? There's only two choices here, right? The example I use all the time with Ginger is that I'm a multitasker. And, and, and I, I get distracted easily. Um, I, I'm paying pretty good attention but I like paying better attention to two or three things at a time. I, that's, I am wired. That, that is what comes naturally to me is a discipline to focus my attention. I'm telling you, if you saw my annual reviews every year from the leadership board, every year from the leadership board, there's a comment about I'm doing better or worse at paying attention. Like that's, it's, it's going to happen. I, I'm not, at no year do I go like, what? Like, yep, that, mm-hmm, that's me. So you got the right guy. 
you're not evaluating the wrong person. You definitely. And so Ginger, luckily, my wife is kind enough that she will say, hey, remember, this is important to me. What, what, what you normally do is you go, how come you're still not getting this? And, I, and you throw a big fit about it as if you're surprised that this is still the same person you're married to, right? You're still that guy? Luckily, my wife will say like, hey, remember, this is important to me. I need you to, would you, would you mind focusing in on what would be? And I can either go like, what is it with you? Or I can say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not very good at that, am I? I need to, but what happens? You know, I do better. Focus. I'm going to do, do better. And then something distracts me, or I'm tired, or I'm sick, or I'm whatever, and, and I slowly revert back to what comes naturally to me. Anybody do that? Slowly revert back to what comes naturally to me. And either we can fight about another three months or six months or whatever, or I can, she can just remind me, oh yeah, and I can be like, yep, you're right. If, if we come at this humbly, well, it's because welcome to the human race. That's us. Now, now, these are the sweet little ones. I'm not talking about the things that have got to be driven out of our life like I'm going to talk about. These are the things, that, the natural just bents that are there and we, that we work with. That's us. We need reminders. We need church every week. We need discipleship every week. Every, we, we need time with God every day. We need God's Word every day to be a reminder. We need these reminders. It's not just the Jewish people who need reminders. Every single one of us need them. We need these reminders week after week, day after day. I'm not, I'm not pushing. By the way, when I say church, let me be clear about something. I'm not talking about a building. Let me read to you. This reminded me so much of this passage in Amos. Uh, the prophet Amos says, when, are we, when will the new moon be here that we can sell grain and the Sabbath um, that we may offer wheat for sale? By the way, those are both wrong. You're not supposed to do either one of those on those days. Um, that we may make an ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. This is all criminal activity. Have you ever found yourself in church thinking about what you're going to do later? And sometimes it's not right. You ever found yourself reading the Bible thinking about what you're going to do later and maybe it's not, it's not even morally right or at least it's off point? Even in God's temple People are off point and in denial and, and going right back to the sin they were at just a few years ago, even after Jesus has cleansed it. This is, by the way, and this is, please don't get caught up on the idea of being God's, of this building being God's house. That may have not been so even in, even in the time of the temple, but it is certainly not the case now. The idea that somehow what I'm talking about is, oh, we need to make sure that we don't spill coffee in the church room. Of course not. What we're talking about is something different than that. We're not even talking about Sunday best or Sunday best behavior. I'm pleased that hopefully slowly we're getting past that mindset that somehow we've got to have everything together before we get going here. That somehow having things exactly right is the point. It is not the point. Being changed is, is really the point of what God is doing in us. God is changing us into something else. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? The zeal for the temple of God that consumed Jesus Christ has to do with the correct worship of Almighty God, which is now about us worshiping God. Us worshiping God together. Our lives being example to God. 
We talked about last week how what a great example the idea of making sure that that, that the wedding in Cana was a great measuring stick for drinking alcohol. Make sure that when you drink alcohol that you're comfortable if Jesus is is another guest at the same event. I thought that was pretty cool. Keep in mind, same thing about all of this. Whatever sin it is in our lives, whatever we think we've got a better way of doing it, is that something that, that involving the temple of Almighty God is what we're talking about. The Apostle Paul is specifically later in that same book going to reference sexual sin. You're, you're, you have the temple of God, and you're going to do that with the temple of God. It's such an offensive thing, that idea. This is the first time that Jesus calls God Father, by the way, in the, in the book of John. This is the first time he refers to him as Father. That, I think, is because of his frustration, his anger. If you can imagine if I invited someone to my father's house and we're wandering around and, my, and you start doing something that I know my father would say was wrong or offensive, what would I say? Get out of my father's house if you're going to do that. Men, when we deal with our wives, understanding that we face God, that God tells us himself, I will be a witness against you because of your unfaithfulness to the wife that I gave you. Get out of my father's house. Now, this is a great application for us as the temple that we would say, what is in us? That if Jesus stormed in with his whip, he would be driving that out. Is it our anger or our rage at the wrong things? Is it the thought that we're our own gods? Is it the sexual sin in our lives? What is it? I don't know. Is it just stuff that's just not on the priorities off? There's a lot of good things out there that are good things, but they make terrible gods. They're a terrible thing to build your life on, even though they're good things in the right order. Is it just getting back on point? That's called repentance. What a great week. Easter week is a great week to look at our lives and remember what Christ has done. Turn and walk away from the things. Ask him to drive those things out of our lives, to create in us a clean heart. As he did this, the disciples remembered that it had been written that King David in Psalm 69, 9, here's what it says, For zeal of your, your house has consumed me, and the reproach of those who reproach you have fallen on me. The people who hate you hate me. The things you hate, I hate. We'll talk more about how Easter should maybe fire us up a little more next week. Incidentally, some of you need to come to the first service next week. Just a few of you. Because it's going be, to be probably slam. So no extra charge for that. Um, this isn't about religious behavior. It's not even about church attendance. It's about being the church. It's about being the temple, living out who we are in Christ, especially in the week of Passover for us to look at our lives and get the leaven out. If you've not experienced a Passover, so Seder just means a a process, a plan, the Passover Seder that we will experience on Wednesday. Today's, as Paul said, last day to sign up for it. If If you've not experienced that, I really want to encourage you to come and experience remembering what Christ has done, remembering what God did for his people so long ago. He has purchased us with a price. We are now free to live as pure people, followers of his. So as we look at our lives, the relationships that we know are out of line, the behaviors that we know are out of line, the ways that we're rebelling against God, those should be the easier ones. Get them out of our house. Get them out of our father's house. And then look at our lives and prioritize. What a great week for doing that. So as we pray now, as we're going to pray, I I hope the Holy Spirit's working in you. He has been working in me through this. 
And so um, we're going we're gonna to pray. I'm going to ask for God to do this in our lives, and then um, we'll sing together. I, will just, I really would urge you to be listening to God, listening to what he has for you today through his word. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who saves. Thank you that you are a God who humbles. Thank you that a couple thousand years ago, you, you carved the path for us. And I pray that we would be changed forever by that. That our lives would look differently than other people's lives. That people could look at us and see that something has been driven out of the temple that our lives are. This is part of our identity is to be your church, is to be your temple. And, and God, I, I pray that you would cleanse it violently if necessary. Break us before you, Lord. I pray you would help us to make the decisions that will, that will allow us to hold on to the disciplines you've called us to. We're not any good at that, Lord. We're not very good at it. That's not an excuse. It's just the truth and the reminder that we need a Savior and we need to be reminded day after day and week after week what you've called us to. Help us to be patient with each other as John prays time after time. You've forgiven us and now we pray that you would help us learn to forgive each other. I thank you for the opportunity to live as free men and women because of what you've done. Help us to find freedom in the temple cleansing. We ask all in your son's name. Amen.